0: Welcome back to Rise and Rouse. I'm your host, Erin Allgood, social impact strategist and quiet and not-so-quiet rebel. Branding isn't just about fluffy language and slick graphics. It's about communicating the essence of an organization to the broader public in this episode you'll hear my interview with Solveig Petsch, also known as Pechi, who is a brand strategist and designer extraordinaire. She's never been one to conform, which led her to create the Brandit framework, which approaches branding as a kind of integrated ecosystem with a focus on basics and core values. She also hosts her own podcast, Brandit with Pechi. Throughout our conversation, Pechi shares so much about her personal and professional journey. That illuminates just how she carved out her unique path in the creative industry. Her candor and focus is inspiring. And I hope you'll come away as I did with a whole new perspective on what it means to create successful branding. Hello, Peggy. Thank you so much for being on the Rise and Rouse podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you so
1: much for having me. I'm really, really excited about the conversation that we're going to have.
0: Yeah, and I just always like to kick it off by giving folks an under like an opportunity to understand how we got connected to each other. And so we were connected through Heather Thorkelson, who was on last season, through her group called The Incurables for, um, in reference to her book about incurable entrepreneurs and incurable entrepreneurship. So it was so lovely to get to meet you there and to and just to, to connect in that way and get to know your work a little bit more. But I'll read a little bit from your bio and then I'll have you just, you know, add some more color in your own words. So Pecci is a brand strategist and designer who's passionate about crafting remarkable branding for the quietly rebellious, which I absolutely love. With a degree in design management, 20 plus years of working with brands of all types and sizes, and 14 plus years as a business owner, she's not your average designer turned strategist. In her work, she fuses strategy with design to facilitate brand transformations that stand out from the crowd and helps value-driven business owners connect with more of their best-fit clients. And so I'll let you take over from there and just add a little bit more. Ooh, well, how far do you want me to go back? Because I could talk for hours. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> just to go back, I don't know, just a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I kind of always knew, I think, that I wanted to uh, pursue a career in the creative industry. So I thought for a long time that I wanted to be a graphic designer, just a pure graphic designer. And then it turns out that there was this thing called design management that I hadn't even heard of before. So when I was going off to uni, I found. I found it by fluke almost and I was like oh what's this hang on this looks interesting and I kind of found it, fell in love because it was it was kind of fusing strategy with design so things wouldn't just be like something pretty to look at and it just spoke to me I really really loved working in the intersection between strategy and design and I've well I've been working in the design industry now for well <laughs> far <laughs> too many years um, and a large chunk of that was literally just doing general graphic design work because people didn't really want to uh, pay for, or they didn't understand why they should have to pay for strategy and why why is strategy important? And so it's only in sort of recent years, recent eight to 10 years, really, that people started coming around to this. And that's why I love it so much, because people can now see what impact taking a strategic approach to design can have for their businesses, which is just like oh wow, <laughs> mind blowing. Um, yeah, so I've been running this company now, uh, my solo business venture, for seven years, and I I really can't think of any other way I'd rather do things. <laughs> like you said, we were speaking about the you know the incurables, <laughs> incurable entrepreneurship. I can't see myself ever going back to being employed now. So. This is it. The world is stuck with Petchy.
0: <laughs> I feel the same way too. I was talking to somebody recently and I was just like, I don't know if I could even function in like another organization, you know, and try to like actually be part of a staff. I just don't know how I could do it. I think it's there's something like really beautiful about being able to work with a client and help them through the transformational piece, which is what exactly what you do. It's a lot of what I feel like I get to do too. And then you get to go like let them go out into the do their thing and then move on to the next. And, and to me, it's like there's something really nice about having that constant like renewal and the constant challenge of working with somebody new, but also like the beautiful part of being able to see somebody go out into the world and then can see very directly oftentimes how you've helped them. And that's part of why I like doing what we do. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's also the reason why I don't really take on, you know, just ad hoc design work for anyone who comes in off the street and says, can you do me a business card or can you do me a brochure? Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry. No, I only do that for the people I've worked with closely because then it becomes a different thing. It's like, it's one thing to sort of set them out into the world and see them take flight. And that's all very exciting, but it's also nice to be able to follow them on that road and sort of help them and hold their hand as they're, they're doing things. And I don't think I could provide the same level of service if I was just like jumping in, doing it for random people, and then jumping back out again. So, right. So yeah, right. that's sort of long term. That's that's my jam.
0: Well, it's like a different way of of working with folks. It's a very relational versus transactional way, um, which I think you are like such a. I feel like you're a queen of that for sure. Thank you. Those are big words. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, though. It's like it's it's. I think that people don't always. I don't know. I wrote something down yesterday, which was just that we bring about change through relationships. Like there is like such a there's something about like the nuts and bolts of, you know, and we do very different work, but similar in that it's we're designing things and strategizing for sure. And it's just a bit of a different application. But in order to help like anybody or any organization to go through any kind of transformative change, it requires relationships. It doesn't. It can't just be about the nuts and bolts of things because that doesn't get you where you want it to go. It's not as meaningful unless you actually tend to the relationships aspect of things too and understand those dynamics and and build the trust that's really needed too to be able to help shepherd someone through that transformation.
1: Yeah, it's about going deep mm-hmm. rather than just like jumping in there doing something superficial and like just like leaving them to to do what whatever. Um, And and I think, I feel like we have that in common and that's slightly challenging in today's world where everything is instant gratification. We want quick fixes. We just want things to happen now. We Like, oh, I want a new brand, but I don't want it to take 12 weeks. I want it to take one week. And I'm like, "Um, well, (laughs) then you're going to have to find someone else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny that you're saying that too, because it's like, this has been where my head has been at for like the last week or so. I feel like we're losing like our ability to, to live in complexity in a lot of ways. I don't know if that feels resonant for you. It does
1: so, so much. It resonates so hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and that complexity piece is just there's a lot that's lost when we can't think compl- you know in complexity, live in complexity, like allow ourselves sometimes the, the mess that is complexity too. So anyways, that's just kind of where my head's been at. So we're going to, I think we're going to continue to dive into this, (laughs) throughout this conversation. Um, We're just setting the stage now. Tell me some of the cool stuff that you're up to, because I feel like you've got a lot of different things that you're working on and that are alive in in your sphere right now. Yeah,
1: it's funny you should say that, because I'm actually working on cutting back a bit. So I've Mm -hmm. gone back to basics a little bit now, uh, because I'm that kind of person. I like to try new things, see if they work. And I have to... Kind of (laughs) hold myself back from creating all of the things because I'll be spreading myself so so thin. So what I'm doing at the minute is I'm I'm going back to basics. I I've kind of put my group program on pause. I've gone back to doing the two things that I really do know how to do best, and that's like brand design and the brand strategy part of things. So literally just going back to those two things. Uh, And I'm also leaning into this whole sort of lived experience of my life and bringing it back into my work and using it um, as a catalyst for change for my clients as well. So I have a lot of ideas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm repositioning at the minute. Uh, It's not a huge major rebrand or anything like that. I'm just tweaking who I would ideally like to work with. So that's that's kind of exciting, but also kind of scary and all that. Comes with that, you know, the new messaging and the new copy and the new website and all of that. And amidst all of that and all of the client work, I'm also kind of thinking, oh, I would love to do a summit later this year. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of things going on in my mind, and I'm and I'm, I'm trying to stop myself from doing them all.
0: <laughs> I mean that's like strategy in a nutshell right. You can't do it all so you have to pick and choose and really think about what's in most alignment and what has the most impact. So I'm glad you're doing that right now. It's a I'm a bit in that kind of season as well for myself and and starting to really get excited about all the possibilities and also trying to give myself some some spaciousness to like let it unfold rather than <laughs> rather than just barrel through it, which is what I can sometimes do. Um one of the things that I think we've talked about before, too, is this idea that since you are um, going through this like repositioning right now, you've come up with this beautiful tagline of remarkable branding for the quietly rebellious, which I mean, just hit my heart in such a way when I saw that I was like, "Ooh, I love that. So tell me a little bit more about how that came to be. And what are some of the maybe the characteristics of of the quietly rebellious?
1: Oh, you know that you were the first person that I actually said it out loud to. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that that was true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been kind of 20 years in the making, that tagline, because for a long, long time, I've struggled to pinpoint, you know, who is it that I help, you know, beyond just like, you know, business owners, um, my niche, if you will, because I, I kind of refuse to niche in the traditional sense of the word because without the variety that i see in like the different types of clients i work with in the, in the different industries i would just want to lie down in a corner and you know <laughs> cry <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so it wasn't actually until earlier this year that it all sort of clicked into place i've been thinking about okay so what is it what is my thing and then it just clicked into place you know i have to bring my lived experiences into my work i have to use mm-hmm. that for good and so that tagline just popped into my head and it gave me goosebumps and okay that sounds a bit cocky to say that about your own (laughs) tagline but it was like yes this is it (laughs) and and when I say rebellious I think people have this image in their head about you know they they see this person who's really sort of on the outside of society shouting from the rooftops on their soapbox rant 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 uh And you know, I'm not like that. But also, all my life I've been defiant. So I, you know, I never ever wanted to follow rules just for the sake of following the rules. That just really annoyed me. And and so I, I think of myself as more of a quiet rebel. And I think there are so many quiet rebels out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that maybe they don't identify as rebels because they're not loud and they're not obnoxious and they're not shouting about their thing. But they're doing their rebellion in their own sense of the word which which is what speaks to me anyways so that's what I that's what I think of when I say quiet um
0: rebels I love that just so much too and I think there's nothing wrong with getting goosebumps when (laughs) from your own tagline because it's like you know it's good if that's happening you know what I mean like you know when you've created something special like especially as a brand designer I think like this like it hits you when you're like on the right track.
1: It does. It does. And then like, I started putting it out there sort of to a few Mm -hmm. people. Like, like I said, you were the first person to hear it. And that was because it literally like that week had popped into my head. (laughs) And then I kind of told a few other people and they're like, yes, I feel it Mm -hmm. in my bones. This is you. I'm like, yes, yes.
0: (laughs) I want to hear more about yourself as the quiet rebel and just maybe some stories.
1: Oh right well we can go far back for that <laughs> sure <laughs> i think I'm it happy all started back in yeah. yeah i think it all started back in my childhood really because i you know i was a bit of a misfit growing up i never really felt like i belonged anywhere i was that uh, sort of fat short um uh, child freckled with glasses You know, I did really well at school, always had my nose in a book because I didn't have any friends. So, you know, what else was there to do other than read? And so I just like, I felt like I was such an outsider and, you know, I was bullied all throughout like primary and secondary school. So I think that's where part of this sort of rebellion comes from, because I was also really, like I said, I was defiant and I was stubborn. And I had, I think even then, like as a child, I had grit. I was like, okay, I'm not going to let them get the last word here, <laughs> mm. and they might be laughing now, but I want to be laughing later, and so that's kind of followed me as I, as I grew up uh, into my youth and into adulthood as well. Um, and it's 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 almost painful to talk about this, but it's not like painful in a raw, fresh wound kind of way. It's 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 more from the scar, so I feel like it's okay to, to talk about this, but if. If someone's um, triggered by hearing about bullying and like the the effects of it, then maybe they want to fast forward a little bit in this episode. (laughs) Just a little trigger warning there. Um, But yeah, into adulthood, that kind of followed me that feeling of, you know, I was always trying to please other people, but I could never really please them. (laughs) I felt like I could never do anything right. Uh, I was never accepted. And so in adulthood, I kind of, kept going I I was I became like the biggest people pleaser Mm. (laughs) ever (laughs) and it was eating me up on the inside because like I yeah I want to I don't want to disappoint people don't want to let anyone down and at the end of the day what that all that did was it made me sort of let myself down instead that is why I'm now kind of finding my My uh, my voice. I think uh, as I was approaching forty, there was this shift that really started to happen, and I could feel myself getting like more and more done with living my life and building my business according to other people's expectations. Right. So when I started my business, well, well, let's go back to when I finished uni. I graduated. I had I did my stint in corporate, like most people do. I hated it because it was all full of shoulds you shouldn't wear this to an interview oh you can't say that to the boss mm-hmm. uh, you can't speak up you should be conforming you need to you need to just sit still and do your job do as you're told and it was yeah <laughs> it was not good <laughs> yeah and then I thought oh Here I am, I've got this opportunity. I was thrown into entrepreneurship. Um, I didn't really mean to, but here I was, I was uh, setting up a, a design agency with my then colleague because our agency that we worked at was going to shut down. And so I was like, okay, starting my own business. Never thought that would happen. And the thing is, you think that when you start your own business, that you're gonna be in charge and that you're gonna feel like, you know, you can make decisions and stuff. And it didn't feel like that at all it still felt like I was in a nine to five. And that was that was something I didn't see coming. And I ran that design agency for seven years along with my co-founder before things got a little bit ugly. <laughs> and uh, basically I quit and started this iteration of my business that I'm in now. And uh, I kind of knew then that, you know, I want to do this differently. I want to do it my way this time. So you probably think, oh, then 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 she did it her way, and then everything was fine. <laughs> but it's not that easy, is it? It's never that easy, you no. Know, because there are still like so many people with so many opinions about how to run a business, and that you're not a proper entrepreneur unless you do it this way. And if you don't work yourself into a pulp, then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Or you need to be doing marketing in a certain way, and you need to be doing sales in a certain way. And by now, my inner rebellion <laughs> is really getting worked up. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of, I can still kind of catch myself going into people pleasing tendencies again, but I, I can recognize it now and I can, I can say to myself, Hey, this isn't what you want. (laughs) Yeah. What do you want?
0: I mean, I think that journey of self-discovery is so important, you know, and we all, we all go through that. I feel like it takes a fuck ton of courage to say goodbye to the way we've always done things right like yep (laughs) it does does that make me brave I don't feel brave
1: but you know maybe I am
0: (laughs) I I think you are brave I think it's I mean brave goes with being quietly rebellious for sure but just I think as a society we've discounted how important leadership is or, or discounted how Leadership is connected to doing, like allowing things to be done differently, and not just following in the same grooves that have existed before. Just saying that makes me think about Audrey Holst, who we both know too from Fortitude and Flow, who was on last um, season. And she talks about how our brains are wired that way. Like we, they get into those grooves, and we just keep replicating those same old grooves and starting to like do something differently takes a tremendous amount of willpower and and energy to do it. But I think you and I can both attest to, like, once you start to make those changes and you – it's, like, really, really, really hard as you're, as you're going through it. And then as you start to kind of land where you're supposed to be in whatever that new normal is, it starts to feel so – like, you feel that sense of relief. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also
1: before that sense of relief, there is that – Shit, (laughs) am I doing the right thing now? (laughs) What's this going to end up like? And I think I'm, I have one foot in each camp right now. Like one Mm -hmm. foot is in the, oh crap, am I really doing this? Am I really becoming more visible? Am I really putting my voice out there? Am I putting my head up on the block, (laughs) ready for the chop? And then the other foot is in the, huh, this feels quite nice. You know, Mm -hmm. it feels nice to be the one who's making the decisions and who's not taking any crap. So yeah, I'm making my way (laughs) there for sure. But I don't think the journey is ever going to be done. I don't think there is like, oh, this is the final destination. I think once I get to what I think is the final destination now, I will see a new destination.
0: (laughs) Which is like fantastic. You know, my friend, oh my goodness, I sound like I'm totally not just trying to like promote season one. Um, but. My friend Alex talks about this from Post Phil Action Network. They created a program called Atlas because they're like, you don't need a roadmap. You need an Atlas, which is like what you and I are talking, you know what I mean? In the journey of our lives and our work and all of those kinds of things, there's a number of different detours we're going towards. We might be working towards like one destination, you know, and there's a bunch of different detours we can take to get to that destination. And then we're like, oh, well, we get there and we're like, well, I want to go to the next destination. <laughs> like, I want to keep going. Like why why stay in one place for an extended period of time when you can keep going and exploring and yeah and you just take that pit stop for however long you need to and then you get you figure out where you're going next Mm, yeah
1: and I think and I work a lot with uh, my clients on uh, values uh, using Mm -hmm. their values to guide them in everything that they do and I feel like Because I'm owning my values now more than I used to do before, like I'm much more vocal about them now, even though they were always there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just told that it wasn't suitable to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, So now that my values are more front and center, I feel like it's easier for me to go on that journey because I've got my values and they are guiding me. And if I stay true to them, then I can't really go off track by too far so
0: Mm. tell me tell me more about your values and like what your what and it might be a bit of a work in progress but i'm excited yeah it's
1: it's always um it's always a work in progress but i've i think i've landed on three now that really are that like my three core values and of course i have other values too Mm -hmm. but the, the three that are at the forefront number one is quiet rebellion you mm. kind of guessed that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two is unapologetic integrity. And number three is sincere compassion.
0: Oh, my goodness. Could you talk about the the latter two? Because I would love to hear a little bit more about both.
1: Yeah. So when working on choosing brand values, I kind of had to swallow my own pill. And it's, it's so easy to just go into that trap of picking something that everyone else has as well you know like oh I'm innovative and I'm I don't know it's sustainable and I'm this that and the other and to me that kind of defeats the object because you're just going to blend in with everyone and it's going to be safe and it's not really going to be of any real value (laughs) So for me, the, the unapologetic integrity means that I'm no longer going to apologize uh, when I say no, thank you, but um, you no know, thanks, but no thanks to opportunities that come my way that really don't align with the way I see the world. Mm. <laughs> um, and it means that, yeah, I, I, I put my integrity first before other people's feelings. <laughs> that feels damn good, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and then sincere compassion is just i i just care about so many different things and i care deeply about so many different things um and i care about my clients as humans i care about the world i care about humanity you know like i i can't really separate this from like like i can't separate my work values from my personal values really um that that sort of compassion just comes naturally I just I want it to show as well that's it's not just something I say I want to I want to bring it forward into the work that I do in the world
0: I love that so very very much and it's they feel so true to you you know for sure like you were saying like unapologetic integrity just like feels good <laughs> to hear that
1: like just that yeah term and you know what it feels like more specific to me than like I could I could say like oh uh authenticity for instance mm-hmm. that that was a value or I could say oh I care about um equity and justice and, mm-hmm. and all of that but to me it's like okay well if I can take all of the things that I care about and put them into <laughs> into mm-hmm. one <laughs> uh, then then that kind of became an apologetic uh integrity because I don't I don't want to I don't want to compromise any of my values mm-hmm. really
0: are there examples or times when you felt like you compromised
1: yeah well there have been several times actually <laughs> but um there's one that kind of crosses my mind when you ask because and it's not like that long ago or actually, actually it's 15 years ago, but <laughs> and I've just really aged myself, but it doesn't feel like that long ago, uh, that I was specifically instructed by my boss at that time to swap out photos of black or brown people or disabled people or fat people in my designs that I was doing, because at that point I was employed, mm-hmm. um, because our clients wouldn't like it, uh, our target audience wouldn't resonate. And, you know, I thought that was shocking then. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and now, like, I don't think you'd get away with anything like that mm-hmm. now, thankfully. But back then, I was, I was still a bit shy. I was still that people pleaser. And I didn't dare to do anything other than what I was told. And as I sort of look back, I deeply regret that now. I regret not standing up for my beliefs. Uh, you know, I was out of integrity On behalf of someone else, admittedly, but still, it was on me to speak up and I didn't. And that's going to haunt me. So I do try to make sure that I do things differently now.
0: I think those are powerful stories, too, like or experiences to go through. Because, I mean, I think that I know when I feel like I'm in alignment, but I also know very, very clearly when I'm out of alignment. And those are, you know, those help me to feel... It, just to help guide me in, in a lot of ways too. And I think a lot of people just, I think that other people probably have similar stories for themselves too when they felt out of integrity and like, and then, and felt boxed into a corner where you couldn't do anything about it. And it really does shape who we become later on. I mean, it's, you said it's like, doesn't feel like it that long ago. It's 15 years ago and it's stuck with you for a long, long time mm-hmm. now.
1: Yeah, there is a more sort of recent example as well where I thought I was going to have to do something really difficult and sort of turn down a, a job that I was, like we were this close to signing the contract and everything. Then I found out something about my potential client that just really didn't sit well with me at all. And it kind of relates to my own experiences of feeling pushed out of the agency that I started. Um, and so I, I was made aware that, The person I was just about to start working with uh, was doing the same thing to their former sort of business partner. And I felt it in my gut. It was like Mm -hmm. I felt sick. I felt sick to my stomach. And I was like working myself (laughs) up to sort of thinking, okay, so how can I how can I tell this client that we're not a good fit? I can't take on this project. And at that time, I was also really in need of the money (laughs) like really really which didn't make it easier and I was like I was wrestling with myself so so badly and thankfully the client pulled out before I had a chance to do so Mm. like they were just like oh sorry I, I I think I don't think I can go through with the project right now I know that you were ready to start next week but I don't think I can and I was like (laughs) <laughs> it was like a weight off my shoulders. But just even like just thinking about what I would have to do if they hadn't cancelled. Mm. It's uncomfortable. It really is because, again, it's that people pleaser. It's like, what, what are they going to say? Will they talk about me? Will they say stuff about me to other people? But at the end of the day, I I, I would not have been able to do a good job for that person anyways because I would know... And there would be this resentment that would just color everything. And yeah, yeah nothing good ever comes out of that. So mm-hmm. thankfully I, I dodged one there, but, but yeah, that was a close call.
0: Yeah. And those kinds of conversations I don't think ever get easier, but you grow muscles around them over time. And I, I mean, I think about uncomfortable conversations that I have to have because we all have to go through that. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it's just, but you also know, it's like, even once you have that, once you have your values and you know what is in alignment, what isn't in alignment or understand those feelings, it's, there's still work involved. There's still like, it's never just easy peasy. I think that that's oftentimes what people think about too. And like, oh, I'm in alignment. Everything falls into place perfectly. And now there's no struggle. And it's like, no, there's like, of course there is a, an element of ease, but it doesn't mean that. The work is ever done as you were saying before just there's always more to the journey
1: there's always more to the journey definitely yeah. but i also think you can make your life a whole lot easier if you're very vocal about the values and what you stand for yes. and what you believe in because then you will hopefully deter most of the people who are not in alignment and then you don't have to deal with it and then you mm-hmm. won't end up having to make that you know difficult phone call or send that email that makes your stomach churn
0: yeah and I it's I mean both of us have all sorts of profanity in our websites <laughs> our, <in> our <laughs> yeah so it's like I I find that that is like right there um you know like a perfect a bit of a calling card so that people I don't end up with the with the wrong people
1: <laughs> for yeah. sure I do have a potty mouth I do
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would not I mean my best like the people I love the most have potty mouths. <laughs> That's not entirely true. There's a couple of friends I have who, when they swear, you know they mean it because they do not swear very often.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there's there's swearing and then there's swearing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I do
1: have like uh like an extra extra potty mouth mode <laughs> that I mm-hmm. enter if it if I need it. I don't put that on my website though usually. <laughs>
0: so. My uh, so my partner literally said to me yesterday. I was like, well, I don't get that mad often. And he's like, you have different levels of mad (laughs) air. He has like, he was like, sometimes you just are kind of like, there's the swearing and then there's the gesticulating. He's like, and sometimes those are, when those are separate, like, you know, like you're just different levels of mad when that happens, you know, he's like, when they start to come together and you're like, (laughs) he's like, that's when I know you're really, really mad about something. (laughs) And I'm like... (laughs) Like, oh, you know me very well at this point.
1: I love that so much.
0: It's like it's lovely to have those people in our lives to like help reflect that stuff back to us.
1: Well, my other half is uh, from the north of Norway, where they're famous for their swearing. So you know, oh, I love that, and I swear worse than he does. So I don't know what that makes me.
0: Yeah. That, be, that just means you're like, you've been um, inducted <laughs> into the into the culture there. <laughs> well, like how long ago did you move to Norway?
1: Uh, well, I was born here and I grew oh, okay. up in Norway, actually. Um, but I moved to the UK in 1999 mm. uh, to study. So my dad is English, so I, I did have... I did grow up kind of with one foot in each country. I have relatives and friends in the UK. uh, But I grew up in Norway on an island off the West Mm. Coast. Uh, It was uh, (laughs) rural, to say the least. Uh, It's a very small community. Um, That's not always a good thing, um, by the way. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I just couldn't wait to get away from there, to be honest. So I moved away from home to go to college in the nearest town when I was... Just shy of sixteen, mm. and then in 1999, I moved to the UK. I studied there. I had my first child there. Actually, I, I lived and worked there for a f- like coming up to almost a decade altogether. And then I moved back to Norway in, in 2009, or was it towards the end of 2008? Maybe I'm not entirely. I can't remember. I'm getting old. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> now I'm back, close to where I grew up, but um, not. On the island, I'm yeah I'm just outside that nearest town where I first moved away to. So.
0: Yeah, I'm sure coming back, you have different appreciations, and also, I mean, as an adult, you get to see it a little bit differently and also more clearly, probably too.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's like, I love living here now. Um, I don't think I would ever move back to my childhood island. There are too many bad memories there from being bullied and stuff. I. Mm. Every time I visit now, it's like I'm transported back to being twelve, <laughs> which is not good. Yeah. So um, yeah. so yeah, I, I do try to distance myself a little bit, but it is beautiful out there. Um, and uh, I don't I can't see myself moving very far away from here anyways in the future. so I think i have landed.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. I love like I like the idea of landing. One of the things we had talked about, you know, before is I just remember you saying this, um, to me, you're like, sought it, be that misfit. And I was just like, well, we're going to talk about that some more because I think in the context of, I mean, as you were talking about before, like getting bullied and, um, you know, to an extent you were the misfit. Tell me more about like how you have embodied that and li- and grown, grown into that. And then how does that extend to the business?
1: well i think I think I probably mentioned this earlier, but you know the always being a people pleaser thing mm-hmm. and all that um and I growing up, I was so focused on never letting anyone down that I ended up letting myself down uh, because I always wanted to fit in and that's that's kind of I don't even know how to to phrase it, but it's followed me into adulthood in good ways and not so good ways. So the not so good ways, I think we spoke briefly about, it's always feeling inferior, you know, always sort of putting other people's opinions above my own. But the good thing is (laughs) growing up because I was that misfit, uh, I was afraid of being picked on that day. So I would just like, instead of, joining in, I would sit in a corner and observe the room. And I got very good mm-hmm. at observing the room. And I, uh, for anyone who's listening, I do not have a single woo bone in my entire body. So for people who like come to me and they say like, Oh, but you've got this intuition. And it's, I'm like, that's not it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my, I've spent a lifetime observing the room and reading people, mm-hmm. body language, So to try and sort of, and reading behind between the lines uh, to sort of make sure I was safe so I could see if something bad was going to happen. I could see it before it happened. And that is something that I thought, well, I've got to take, like, they're major lemons. I've got to make some lemonade out of them. (laughs) And so I, I, now when people say, or my clients say, wow, you have this, almost sort of uncanny way of knowing what I need even when I don't need it myself or you you kind of read my mind I haven't said this out loud to you but like wow you still got it and I'm like well that's because of that lived experience and so something good came out of it (laughs) I guess you could say so that's that's the part of that experience that I really want to focus on in my work the sort of I i see you you know i hear you i can i can read you well enough to pick up on the little nuances that maybe you don't even mention yeah. in like words um and then to take that and be able to use it to inform the design work that i do for my clients mm. um it's empowering in a way to kind of take that <laughs> that kind of came it came from pain but it's of such value now
0: so and it's you know, I, I'm like was touching my chest cause it like resonated with me too. Cause I've been, I've, I did the same exact thing. Like in a lot of ways, um, it wasn't necessarily bullied, but I, I was always very acutely aware of spaces that I was in mm-hmm. and growing up. I became, I'm just very, very hyper aware of all of that. And it's led to me being a very good facilitator and, and I have a very hard time turning it off. <laughs> so you probably feel that too. I feel that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was at a retreat a couple weeks ago, um, this amazing arts expressive therapy retreat. And hopefully I'll have the, the founders on for the podcast at some point. And because I'm such a facilitator, you know, I am so paying attention to what's happening in the group and not always focusing on myself. And it's, it was always like a, a tension I was feeling between like, like allowing myself to immerse myself in whatever I was trying to focus on versus like a la- just kind of watching everybody around me uh, and just paying attention and tuning into what's going on with all of them. And, and it was hard and I named it at one point and one of the you know organizers of the retreat was like, it's good that you're naming that because <laughs> I'm sure that they were noticing me do it <laughs> throughout, you know, but it's, it's hard. It's really really hard.
1: It is hard, but it's also good to be aware of because when well before I started my solo business, it was expected of me to take part in like conferences, business conferences, you know, mm. to mingle and be working the room and getting leads and yeah. stuff. And so my then business partner was like, "Well, you're not pulling your weight. Why are you why are you just sitting there?" <laughs> mm. And and I think it would have been so much better for not just for me, but also for our joint business. If we could have just played to each other's strengths. So she could have been working the room, but I could have been nurturing the deeper connections. Yeah, Cause I'm the kind of person stick me in a room with 200 people and I will sit in the corner and I will watch Mm -hmm. and I will like, maybe if I see a a familiar face, I will go up and I'll say hi and then I'll cling to them for the rest of the day. (laughs) Um, Or I will find like maybe one or two, that I feel are almost kindred spirits and I will go and introduce myself to them and then get to know them and sit with the same people the entire evening Mm. Uh, instead of doing what I was quote unquote supposed to do and talk to as many people as possible. So being aware of how those, well, lived experiences and those abilities affect us, I think that's a strength.
0: Oh my goodness, yeah. It really is, and it's. I'm sad that you didn't get to do that for so long, and I'm so excited you get to do it now. You Yay, get to lean into so your strength,
1: <laughs> and it turns out that now that I'm showing more of my true colors and I'm like daring to be me, I'm finding all of these people that I'm deeply resonating with, and that I'm like, you're awesome. Mm. I want to know you better, and I'm finding more and more of those people. And so, okay, they might not physically be in a conference room in my town. My conference room is online now and I have so many cool people. So, yeah, there's something something to be said for
0: owning who you are in that way. I'm excited as you, you know, just very you know, just off the cuff, I think mentioned that you're thinking about a summit and creating a summit. I'm so excited to see what that's going to look like.
1: When I say summit, I'm kind of thinking maybe it's more of a hybrid between a summit and some kind of community project somewhere Mm -hmm. where there is a group for people to discuss and go deeper. And definitely not the kind of summit where you have five speakers in a day. And if you miss one, you have to pay $200 or whatever to get the recordings.
0: Right. (laughs) Yes. Not the kind of summit I want to create. I'm just so excited to hear you articulate that and I am I'm, I'm just happy you're saying it like even if that's an inkling right now cuz it feels like you got to make it happen. We
1: talked
0: about <laughs> yeah. it. Now yeah. now I've spoken about it
1: publicly on your podcast. <laughs> so now I have to do it. So this is
0: accountability at its finest. I mean the good thing is it won't come out for a few months so you get some time to <laughs> Yes. To put the pieces in place. <laughs> um, so hopefully, when it does come, we'll we'll definitely make sure that we've got all of the bits and pieces um, in the show notes when that comes to comes to fruition for sure. But it, I mean, I feel like we're coming back, you know, full circle to just a lot of the things we were talking about originally. Just this idea of like the deeper relationships, the complexity, um, those kinds of things. It feels like. We, you and I are such kindred spirits in that and that I don't want, I don't want things to waste my time. Like if it's not going to go deep, it feels like a waste of time for sure.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I think that we're just coming out of the sort of the, the era of instant gratification. I think people are starting to realize how exhausting it is mm. to always be kind of chasing after the latest, the newest, the fastest. And I see more and more people coming out of it the other end, which gives me hope.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. And I think in kind of the, I guess, broader sense, it's, uh, I think you and I are both creating businesses and doing work that we feel like leads to a better world in some way or another, right? Like, it's not just about helping brands. You know, for me, it's not just about helping organizations have a strategic plan, which is often what I'm doing, it, there is a bigger picture thing that's happening. I don't know. Would, do you want to speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I agree, you know, and I think, okay, so I have this vision in my head of where I, I would like the world to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do realize that I can't change everything. I can't save the world on my own. <laughs> that's yeah. just not possible. Nobody can. Um, But what I can do is when I work with my clients, I can choose to work with people whose values align with mine and they want to nudge the world in the same direction that I want to nudge the world. And if I can help them make a bigger impact Mm. through the services and the work that I do with them, then that has a ripple effect because they can then go on to make a bigger impact. They can influence their clients and then... It's kind of like a, it's kind of like an MLM, but a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: No exploitation. <laughs> no, it's like a reverse, <laughs> reverse MLM. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. <laughs> oh, my yeah, I know. Cause I think, I think once you,
1: once you are clear on people you want to help and, you know, that helping that, that one client, if that's, helps them make a bigger impact so they can impact another 10 people in their circle and then multiply that Mm. (laughs) again and again
0: it's a tremendous amount of good that's happening
1: Mm, even from just one small project
0: exactly yeah thank you for saying that it's it's i think part of what we also do in our work sometimes is not take a moment to really think about that bigger picture of what we're helping to shift in the world and the, uh, and the ripple, those ripple effects. And I'm glad we just took a moment to do that. Cause I think that's, is really, really exciting. I mean, I guess, is there something, is there anything that you want to, that you're particularly proud about that you'd want to articulate?
1: I don't know. I I think I'm just, I'm proud that I'm still here doing my thing. And all the people who said I couldn't do it or that I was doing it Mm -hmm. wrong, I've proven them wrong. (laughs) And I think that's partly through sheer stubbornness as well, because, uh, you know, not not giving up (laughs) is one of my sort of things, because I would, it would kill me to not know what was, what I'd been missing out on if I gave up now, like what would have been around the corner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that grit, I think, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention my dad. My dad deserves a shout-out. So growing up, my dad had his own company. He's an architect. He's retired now. But he came to a foreign country. He moved from the UK to Norway to be with my mum to this remote island. And he started his own architecture practice on this island. And this was in the era before the internet, before we could just go on out and find clients on the internet. So it was the good old fashioned, you know, marketing, going out there, meeting people. And I know that it was tough for him. And he just kept on going. And I know it was hard. It drove my mum crazy because like money was tight at times and stuff. But he didn't give up. And I think that's something I didn't realise until fairly recently. that That's something he's passed on to me. Like he modelled that from an early age for me. And uh, I will forever be grateful for that. Here's me thinking I don't have a single entrepreneurial bone in my body. (laughs) And then I'm like, hang on a second, dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you, dad, for teaching me to hang in there.
0: It's something we all need, I think. And, you know, this podcast is all about talking to folks who are creating change and like what is keeping you going. How do you keep showing up and continuing to do this work? you know, because it's, it's not easy, you know, and because it is deep, it's so much easier to be superficial, right? Like, you know, what is keeping you going? Is it really, it can't just be the petty, like I showed all those people. <laughs> there's something more than that. There's something more than that. Yeah. I guess. Be more than that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think that's just, there's something inside of me that says you will never forgive yourself if you give up now because mm-hmm. you won't know what would what could have been
0: I love that I always like to wrap up by just asking a question around you know what does it mean to you to give a damn like whether that's in your life or your work I mean you are a pretty like solid damn giver <laughs> I have to come up with a better <laughs> term better <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll put that on my oh CV yeah now. see now you can <laughs> Since you're my branding expert now, apparently you're going to have to, you'll have to work, we'll workshop that one. Uh, but
1: yeah, what does it mean? I mean, like I can't not give a damn, Yeah, you know, because like I said, I care so deeply about so many things. And um, sometimes I even have to force myself to take that step back um, in order to preserve my own mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think we spoke a little bit about this before as well, but, you know, as an empath, I soak up those emotions, I carry them yeah. with me. So, you know, don't even get me started on the state of the world right now and the, the clusterfuck that is that mm-hmm. our world that we live in um, kind of leaves me in a very sort of raw and emotional state quite often. And it's not good for me, but also it's not a bad thing either because giving a damn means that I truly care about my clients. I care about their success. I care about them as humans, you know, they're not just someone whose wallets I want to get in. Right. And, and we touched on this. I know for a fact that I could make so much more money if I started churning out projects in kind of yeah. the same speed I see some of my other fellow designers do. Like, I, I know that I can design a brand identity in a day. Mm-hmm. I've tried it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looked good too, you know. Um and so I could do that. It would be quick cash for me. It would be the quick fix that my client probably wants. Kind of sounds like a no-brainer, but I know that it's not going to be the best solution for my client in the years to come. And so I won't do it. So yeah, giving a damn it, it kind of kind of is this overarching thing in in my whole life, not just my work.
0: Mm it's just who you are yeah I, I guess you could say that it's I when I think about myself I'm like oh, that's just who I am too it's like in a similar way you can't turn off that kind of the empath part of things or just that kind of the noticing and in, in spaces and stuff like that you can't turn off giving a damn you know right no, I just can't I've tried <laughs> oh I've tried <laughs>
1: tried actually several times to turn it off because it would be so much easier if I could just like if certain things if I could just not care about them at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) it would make my life so much easier right right but mm, yeah I don't think the off button is working there's something wrong no servicing
0: I also think that turning it off would be a disservice you know to to ourselves I think that you know I had somebody who had said to me at one point this is an artist that I met at a retreat, um, years and years ago. And she had said to our group, you know, what does it mean to break your heart open and live with it fully open, you know, or what does it mean to break your heart and live with it fully open? And fuck if that doesn't get me every time I think about it, you know, because to be fully human in this world really does mean through moving through it with that vulnerability and that openness. It doesn't always have to be raw, but I think, but being able to like access that is really important.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Is there anything else, you know, Petty that you want to share just before we wrap up? This has just been such a lovely conversation.
1: Oh, I don't know. We've spoken about so many things already, but I think if there was like just this one kind of key takeaway that I want to leave people with, it's you're enough, (laughs) you know, don't let anybody else tell you that you're not good enough just the way that you are. Don't, don't, think that you have to pretend to be someone else to be accepted because there are people out there who will resonate with the real you and they are the people who are worth surrounding yourself with whether that's in your personal life or that's for your work
0: thank you so much for being with me today Petty I've just had so much fun talking to you and going deep with you and just and getting to know you even more through this so thank you thank you thank you so much for having me i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation rise and rouse is created and hosted by me Erin allgood it is produced and edited by steph george of stefania audio production support from grace cleary morin and yana Krasanova. our theme music is written and produced by chris marion if you enjoyed this conversation please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people Make sure to follow Rise and Browse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Browse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com.